Well, good morning and happy Father's Day to those of you who are fathers here. Uh, we're uh, glad to be celebrating on this Sunday, Father's Day, because we have a, a great father, a, a daddy in heaven that loves us. Uh, would you please uh, bow your heads with me? Father God, when we remember your mercy and compassion through your son, Jesus, we are very thankful. To Jesus belong the throne, the scepter, and the oil of gladness. To Jesus belong the crown of glory and the seat at your right hand forever and ever. Jesus is in the highest place. His name is above all names. And how is it that the ruler of all things, to whom all things belong, is also the servant who washes his disciples' feet, taking off his robe to pick up the basin and the towel? He who is in the highest place, went to the lowest place in order to serve. We love because he first loved us. And we serve because he first served us. Because of Jesus' act of service, we have been released from spiritual bondage and adopted as sons and daughters of the King. Those who belong to Jesus are children of God. So, Father, thank you for this precious gift through Jesus. You are gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Thank you that Jesus came as an expression of your grace and your compassion to be a servant of many. We ask that you would teach us to serve as Jesus did. That you would help us to serve our brothers and sisters within the church and our surrounding community for the glory of God. Let us be sons and daughters of the King, eager to serve and trust in you for the glory of your kingdom. And now, Father, we lift up our time in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to give you a quick update on uh, our building and the place to gather. Uh, workers are continuing to make progress. You should have it up there. Um, on the uh, front of the building, uh, the room that you see completed off to the uh, left houses the water storage tank there. Uh, right next to it is the kitchen and bathrooms. And then across the way on the right-hand side is the, uh, is the chapel uh, that we'll have right as you first enter into the, the building. Um, if you don't know, LifeSpring is building a place to gather to bless the neighborhood, schools, and families of the greater Richmond Spring Grove area. Uh, we are currently working on the first phase of the church building. Uh, but when this 21-half-acre site is complete, it will include a playground, community center, walking path, retail, and lots and lots of room for the community to gather. Uh, so we want to bless our community by sharing our space and uh, pray that many will receive the highest blessing of knowing Jesus as their Savior and being adopted as sons and daughters of the King. Uh, so now we are in a series called Bless and picking up on that, uh, that word bless. We want to bless our community. Uh, we're asking, you know, how is it that our, uh, our members of Life Spring Community Church can bless the neighborhoods, schools, and families of our surrounding community? And so we are following this acronym called BLESS and the B. Uh, actually, let's see if anybody remembers. What does the B stand for? Begin with prayer. Good. Uh, the L stands for? Listen, you can speak. Good. Serve. So we've gone through. We've gone through eating. We should have those all down, right? Uh, and, uh, and in the future, and the, this next Sunday, we'll go through share. But today we are on this word called serve. 
We're on a word called serve, the first S in the, uh, the BLESS acronym. And my hope for us today is that we might grow in our passion for service, overcoming the hurdles uh, that keep us from serving. Uh, but that said, I am humbled by the many ways that I know people at LifeSpring Community Church have served others in the past. And I know many stories that, uh, of, of people wanting no recognition for their acts of service, uh, people who have blessed others uh, in, in so many different ways. Um, and so I, I don't, before we even begin, we talk about how we should serve or why we should serve. I just want to say thank you. Thank you for being a serving church, for being a people that care about others and want to serve them. Well, today we are going to, uh, we are going to talk about a theology of serving. And don't get scared. The word theology is simply the study of God. And when we talk about a theology of serving, we're simply talking about what does God think about serving? And so uh, our outline is the big lie, uh, the path to true greatness, and then uh, finally, the great redemption. And so as we begin here, the one thing I would like you to remember is this, and this is sort of a compilation of Matthew 20, 28 and John uh, 13, 17, is that Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve. Blessed are you when you do likewise. Now, when I think of a, a theology of serving others, it reminds me of uh, when my children were younger, and I did ask permission to get the story out, so uh, uh, I, I generally do that. Um, but uh, when, when my daughter was young, uh, she was uh, with, with a friend and uh, wanting to kind of enlist her friend's help in doing some household chores, and so she said, let's pretend this whole place is a palace and that we're the maids. And her friend scrunched up her face and she said, I don't want to be a maid. I want to be a princess. And uh, completely unfazed, my daughter said, well, we'll be princess maids. Well, you know, that's not far from a, a good theology of service. What does God think about serving? Should the sons and daughters of the king serve? Uh, we're going to answer that question by taking a look at a passage from Matthew 20, uh, 20 through 28. Um, and before the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to Jesus with her request, Jesus had already explained to his disciples in uh, Matthew 19.30, uh, many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. Now, this is the nature of the kingdom of God. It turns everything on its head. Uh, nevertheless, Salome, the wife of Zebedee, and the mother of James and John came to Jesus with her request. Salome had a plan. Her dream was that her sons would have the highest position in the kingdom of God. Now, it's helpful to understand the family relations in this matter. Uh, as Michael Wilkins notes from his commentary, this woman has been a faithful follower of Jesus. So the, the mother of the sons of Zebedee, faithful follower of Jesus. Later, she's identified as Salome. So that's her name. Uh, she is among the women who attends Jesus at the cross, witnesses the empty tomb. You can see Matthew 27, 56, um, or the Gospel of Mark. The best clarification of the listings of the women identify Salome as the sister of Mary, Jesus' mother. That's from John 19, 25. So did you get that? The wife of Zebedee is Jesus' aunt, which makes James and John his cousins. 
And so when Salome knelt down in front of Jesus, she is trying to use her family advantage to move her sons forward, to advance their position, to get them in a better spot. Uh, Grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right hand and the other at your left in your kingdom. And of course, the position on the right and the left are positions of great power and influence and importance. Those are the positions on one side and the other side of the king of the most importance. And she's wanting them for her sons. After all, we're your kin. Uh, Speaking directly to James and John, Jesus said, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink from the cup I am going to drink? We can, they answered. Now, throughout Scripture, the cup uh, oftentimes, it can mean the cup of blessing and favor. It can mean the cup of, of wrath and disaster. And so what cup is Jesus talking about right now? And Jesus is talking about the cup of suffering that he is going to undergo at the cross. And after all, the positions on his right and his left at the cross were held by, um, by thieves who were on their own crosses on the right. Can you asking? Pause between, he says, cup. But to song to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. On the one hand going to drink from my cup. On the other hand, don't quite know what position you'll have in the kingdom. Well, James became the first martyr of the church, Acts 12.2. John was exiled to the island of Patmos, and tradition tells us that he was first boiled in oil before they sent him there. The disciples would drink from the cup of suffering. We don't know about their positions in God's kingdom, but they would have them. Matthew 20.24, the scene shifts. Okay, so the other disciples catch wind of what had just taken place here. They hear that, uh, that James and John and their, their mom made a little power move here, and they're indignant. Indignant possibly because they hadn't thought of it first. Indignant because James and John had used their family position to try to advance themselves. But they're indignant. The, whatever the case... Whatever the reason why they're indignant, whatever the reason why all this happened, all 12 of Jesus' disciples had bought into the big lie. The world's view of power, personal interest, and that those who have the power don't serve, but rather they're the ones who are served. We're not the ones who serve. We're the ones who get served. Uh, So the so-called golden rule of Christianity from Matthew 7.12 is, so in everything, do unto others, right? You know that one? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So that's the the golden rule. But um, the golden rule was uh, also kind of spoofed in a 1964 comic strip, The Wizard of Id, He Who Has the Gold Makes the Rules. Which one does our world believe? Probably the second. So when the disciples visualized themselves in the kingdom of God, they, can, um, they could not see themselves as servants. Like my daughter's friend, they thought, I don't want to be a servant. I want to be a prince. I want to be the, the, the guy in charge or under the guy in charge. I want to be at the top of the, the ladder. I don't want to be the servant. They could not visualize themselves as a uh, the, what's the equivalent of a princess maid, a, a, a servant prince, 
They couldn't visualize. That's out of their categories. How can someone be a, a prince and a servant, a son of the king, a daughter of the king, and a servant at the same time? But in the kingdom of God, self-exaltation is a lie. Jesus gathered his disciples together to explain the truth, the path to true greatness. In uh, Matthew 20, 25, Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Take the Gentiles, the nations, the ethne, for example, says Jesus, their power structure is top-down. When someone gets power, they tend to use it to build themselves up. The ruler flexes their political muscle, rises to the top, squashes opposition, as many people serving them, people use power to control others. It's authority example. Uh, the other party's nose in the mud. We tend to do the same thing. Whoever's in charge exercises authority over them. It's not that we don't need authority, but the, the way that we exercise authority tends to be according to self-interest a lot of times. And Jesus is saying that's, that's not the way the kingdom of God operates. And this is not true of just politics. It's often the failure in marriages. It's, the part, it's part of the curse. Uh, Genesis 3.16, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. We're going to be jockeying for position in all of our relationships, including our primal ones. There's sort of a, a power play that takes place and messes the relationship up. This is why partnerships often fail. It's the cause of relationship failure and even the root cause of war. Not so with you, said Jesus. Matthew 20, 26. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. The kingdom of heaven has a, a different power structure, a different, a different structure entirely, said Jesus. You must be a servant. Do you want to be first? You must be a slave. In the kingdom economy, many aspects of being first and last are reversed. Matthew 19.30 again, many are first will be last, and who are last will be first. So this is the foundation for something we call servant leadership. Those who are leaders need to be servants. And in fact, we all need to be servants if we are followers of Christ. So let's talk about the great redemption. So now Jesus gives the ultimate example, the example of his own life. And Matthew 20, 28 says, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now Jesus was born a king, both humanly speaking and divinely speaking. He was, Jesus is a king. And he did not come to be served, but to serve. In the world's economy, that is um, completely antithetical. We can't, we can't do that. But for Jesus, he was both the king and the servant. As the Apostle Paul notes in Philippians 2, Jesus did nothing out of selfish ambition, looking after his own interests, and we are to have the same mindset. If we're to have the mind of Christ, we have a servant's mindset. Um, Jesus did not use his position for advantage, but took on the nature of a servant, even though his ultimate act of Service was death on a cross. So Philippians 
2.9, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee would bow every, uh, in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So the result of Jesus' ultimate act of service is our freedom from death and his exaltation. His death paid our ransom, but we were ransomed not only from death and the penalty of sin, but also from our from being towards God. Jesus, we are participants, but he's calling us to follow him, to witness to him, and to serve on his behalf. So if we put it in this way, Jesus' response to James and John, it didn't sound like such a good deal. You're going to participate in the cup of my suffering. Who wants to sign up for that? But if we think about it that way, he wasn't just telling them they're not going to occupy the positions on the right and the left. Rather, Jesus was explaining to James and John they would occupy an important place in his kingdom because they would drink from the cup of his servanthood, his suffering, and share in the gift of freedom that Jesus brings. Last will be first, first will be last. So Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve and to illustrate his point. Later, Jesus took off his outer garment. He was in that upper room. And to his disciples' shock and amazement, he started going around the table, washing their feet. It was a menial job, and in their minds should never be done by an important person. In the days where people walk everywhere and sandals are the the, uh, shoe of choice, no one wanted to wash feet. Now think about the jobs that you don't like to do. Maybe it's washing a, a sink full of dishes. Or maybe it's taking out the garbage. Or better yet, when the, when the dog knocks over the garbage and it's all over the floor, picking it up. Or cleaning the toilet or, or fixing a clogged toilet. Think about those jobs. Now imagine if someone uh, who was important to you, who you really thought well of, came into your house and started doing those jobs. How would you feel? Shocked? Amazed? A little embarrassed? Like, how, how are you, how you going to feel when that person starts unclogging your stop toilet and you know it's down there? Do you understand what I've done for you? Jesus asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should watch, wash one another's feet. I have set for you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is messenger greater than one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. That's from John 13, 12 through 17. The big lie is that important people don't serve. The top dog doesn't get down and unclog the toilet. He doesn't wash people's feet. But the truth is, Jesus took off the robe and he went around and washed his disciples' feet. And he said, this, just in case you didn't get it, is an example of how you ought to treat one another on my behalf. You are sons and daughters of the king. 
but you are also servants of God and of one another. So the challenge before us to serve God and people, sons and daughters of the King, we want to bless um, other people through our service, but sometimes serving others is not easy or messy. Removed his so let me as Jesus took off his robe. What types of really as God has called us to do? Well, one of them might be the, the, the person who I am serving is not worthy of being served. You ever feel that way? It might even it might be a spouse, it might be a neighbor, it might be someone you're working with, but there might be someone that's just downright objectively pig-headed, and you don't want to serve them. But when you think about what Jesus did, and we washed the disciples' feet, who was among the 12? There were 12 disciples there, not 11. So Judas Iscariot was one of the people. Jesus went around and washed Judas's feet, his stinking feet, even though he didn't deserve it. He knew what Judas would do. And yet he gave this common grace to Judas as well. That might be us. All the disciples were blessed. I think this should inform us as we're, uh, we're, we're building a place to gather for the, the uh, families and neighbors and uh, the schools, people that are going to come and use the space, that some of them are not going to be Christians or act like Christians. And, and we want to share, we want to have this common grace for everyone. And we believe that the highest place of grace, and our prayer is that many will come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. But we're offering that common grace to all people, washing everyone's feet, even though we know what the, the best blessing is. And we pray that God will use it for that purpose. But I want to I share another uh, thing with you, which I think is helpful in, in terms of marriage. Uh, Michael Wilkins offers this helpful insight when it comes to serving one another in our marriages. It says, uh, many marriages experience what I call tug-of-war syndrome, where each partner tugs to have his or her needs met by their spouse. But if you've ever been in a tug-of-war, you remember that the equilibrium is tenuous because it is maintained only through tension. Many couples grow tired of the continual struggle, so they give up. However, instead of tugging, couples can be taught how to serve. I try to teach this when I take couples through premarital or marital counseling. I ask each couple to perform an experiment. They commit themselves to two months of never asking to have their own needs met, but only to ask how each can meet the other's needs. So it's usually a a huge paradigm shift and quite threatening. Couples usually act incredulously when I propose this experiment. One young woman said, quite honestly, I'm so used to nagging him that he'll never get his, uh, will never help around the house. He'll never take me out to dinner. He just doesn't think about my needs. And yet, when uh, Wilkins talks about explaining this pattern of grace and couples that actually go through this experiment, it ends up helping their marriage because they realize that serving each other is, is the Christian way to go. When we're so concerned about having our own needs met, it creates conflict. When we're so concerned about the other person being worthy or not worthy enough, it creates conflict. It creates distrust. 
This is the case in, not only in marriages, it's the case for uh, marriages. It's very important. It's your, it's your closest relationship. But by extension, we can also serve others in our community. We can serve neighbors. We can serve friends. We can serve other people without asking to have our own needs met, trusting God for our exaltation. Well, as we sort of um, wind this down, you know, what next? Maybe uh, as, as we've talked about the why of service, uh, how, are we, how are we going to do that? And so it might be in some of your close relationships. You need to not, uh, not ask to have your own needs met, but be more concerned about having the other person's needs met. Um, but also uh, there might be other attitudes that we need to take off in order to serve better. You know, it's never, it's rarely convenient to serve other people. Sometimes we get dirty. Sometimes the timing doesn't work out very well for us. Uh, there's all sorts of excuses in our heads why we might not do that. But we've got to remember Jesus taking off his robe and remembering what we need to take off. Um, and be prepared to get dirty and inconvenient and inconvenienced. It's going to happen. I think also conspiring to serve with a blessed buddy is helpful. When we start thinking about, okay, how can we actively think about blessing the people in our community? How are we going to do that? Sometimes it's, it's, it's a lot more fun to do. It could be, you know, you could do that as a couple. You could do that with friends. You could do that with, you know, but if you have a blessed buddy, that will, that will certainly help in that area. And then uh, I want to uh, offer a... Uh, a tangible uh, next step. If, if you are not doing anything on the day after the 4th of July, uh, Life Spring Community Church is going to be cleaning the streets after the, uh, after the parade and everything goes through, uh, through Main Street. We'll be out there picking up garbage. And uh, so I, I, I like to think, well, we're, we're going to have a float or have uh, people on uh, the, the 4th of July, but we're also going to be there on the 5th of July cleaning up the mess. So uh, if, you, uh, if you, that's something that's on your heart, I encourage you for that. And I think I was told one other thing. There's VBS happening here tomorrow. So if you'd like to help set up, you can do that right after uh, service. But look for ways to serve. Pray over them. Not just that we can serve, but we remember that somehow God use, uses service redemptively in our lives and in the lives of others. And it turns out that as, as we're blessing others, we find ourselves blessed as well. Well, um, I'm going to uh, close us with, with this. Uh, it's from Michael Card. In an upstairs room, a parable is just about to come alive. And while they bicker about who's best, with a painful glance, he'll silently rise. Their savior servant must show them how, through the will of the water and the tenderness of the towel. And the call is to community the impoverished power that sets the soul free, in humility to take the bow, that day after day we must take up the basin and the towel. In any ordinary place, on any ordinary day, the parable can live again when one will kneel and one will yield. Please bow with me in prayer. Uh, Father God, Father God, your son, Jesus, of service and grace. He fed people. He healed people. He was inconvenienced. He went without sleep. At times, he wanted to get away alone. He hung out with people to serve them. 
God, help us to take the example of Jesus in caring for each other and seeking to serve our community. And Lord, uh, you know the many different opportunities we have. Help us to see them and act upon them for the glory of God. We trust you in Jesus' name. Amen.